Well, welcome to the podcast. This is a chat with Hank, and I'm Hank Moltola. So as a veteran-owned business, and I've said this often, it's, it's wonderful to connect with industry professionals and share content that just creates greater awareness within the industry and the audience. And when we have guests on that have developed a distinct solution with a really unique advantage to others in the industry, those are the times I really enjoy, and, and today's guest is no exception. So within the RIA space, <clears throat> and we're going to discuss investment solutions, one of the problems that arises is practices get to an inflection point, and in, in how can a firm continue their growth? How can they continue to build equity? How can they continue to increase margins and manage relationships? And to address these themes, you need to create time to do all this. So for a business owner, you, you need to evaluate how to best address the issues of growth. Do you build something in-house? Is, is, does that make sense? Or do you outsource you know, the operational and asset management side of the business? So today, I'm chatting with Christian Hildahl. Christian is the founder and, and president of Varying Investment Partners, which is an insourced CIO solution for independent RIAs. Uh, they have over 150 years of investment manager experience, and, and what they've created is really an ideal investment solution to help advisors concentrate on managing client relationships. So as a result, Varium focuses on managing investments. The solution was designed really to maximize the ROI on the investment process. Advisors' clients get a, an integrated and institutional caliber investment solution, which allows them to accelerate, accelerate the growth of AUM by, <clears throat> again, focusing on client service and business development while capturing, and what we're going to discuss in great detail, is the massive amounts of lost value that is transferred to third-party investment solutions. Uh, Christian and I chat about Varium, how they recognize the need to develop their solution, and how participating advisors and practices can substantially increase their net worth. And we discuss the differentiating factors when comparing Varium to larger outsourced CIOs. Uh, we discuss how Varium addresses volatility. And I also wanted to get his views on the consolidation that continues in our industry and what impacts it may have on RIAs as well as the future of the industry. And now I bring you a chat with Christian Hildahl. Well, I'm here with Christian Hildahl. Christian, thanks uh, for taking some time and coming on the podcast and taking some time out to chat. Yeah, no, thanks for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this. Well, so am I. So, you know, the thing that I really love about podcasts and I think most people do is that you just get a lot richer dialogue, you know, better understanding and deeper insights into ideas that you're not going to really get from a website. So I just want to jump into Varium here in a moment, but I also like to start off a little bit, I guess, on a, on a personal note and, and just looking at, you know, the experience and the knowledge amongst everybody at Varium, yourself included, obviously with Gerald and, and Bert, Brian and John, it's, well, you guys got 12 advanced degrees between the five of you. So tell me how this, this group really kind of came to be, how you're connected and, and, and kind of the dynamics between all of you. Well, it's so I'm I'm in my thirtieth year 
can't believe it, of uh, being in this business. And I, th- I think one of the greatest assets that any company can have is, is its people. And I just was really, really fortunate to have um, run across these folks in, in my career when we weren't um, actively working together, but stayed in touch, um, have very similar views on um, kind of the markets, how money should be managed. And it's just <laughs> very fortunate that at the time that I started putting this all together, these folks were somewhat at a crossroads themselves in their careers and really loved the idea of what Varium is and what we are out to do. And um, I was just really lucky to have them um, say yes and want to be a part of it. So um, it was really more fortunate in just timing than, than really anything else. But, you know, like I said, I, I, I think the greatest asset in a company can have is its people. And, and I get really lucky with, with these folks. And, you know, I say this actually a little bit tongue in cheek, but I, I like being the dumbest one of the group because um, it just means yeah. you have really smart people. Yeah, it's all. What's the old saying? If you're the if if you're the smartest one in a room, it's uh it's good to change rooms. Yeah. So, but uh, well, that's great. So yeah, it is it is always nice finding finding good partners to to move ahead in business with. So let's kind of dig into this then. So I, I'm sure most financial advisors are familiar with, you know, TAMPS or a turnkey asset management uh, platforms and outsourced uh, CIO solutions. But just so we're on the same page, so to speak. Give us a definition of TAMPS and, and outsource CIO and, and and along that, describe what Varium Investment Partners does. Yeah. So I think that the most generic way to describe a TAMP would be um, the way I look at it is, is really technology enabling advisors to access money managers. So it's for me, it's more of a, a tech overlay. And OCIO is um, a little more on the... Uh, strategy, touchy-feely side of things. So oftentimes an OCIO and TAMP are are interchangeable um, in many ways. Um, Mm -hmm. I, what I tried to do with Varium was take the best aspects of a TAMP and the best aspects of an OCIO and combine those in a way that really um, the offering ends up looking a lot like an internal CIO structure okay. where we do everything from all of the trading, rebalancing, reporting, manager due diligence, asset allocation modeling. Um, and then we actually execute that for the advisor so that they don't need to spend a bunch of money on technology and, and getting up to speed on, on training or have a, a, an additional expensive person in their office having to, to, to do the, the operational side of the investments. Okay. So what we've, 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 basically created a turnkey CIO solution. And um, the only real drawback to the model is that we can't do it for everybody. We can't have a thousand different relationships, which is there's just not enough days and you know hours in the day to, to do that. So we have really close relationships. The idea here, the business model calls for having close relationships with, with 12, maybe even fewer um, advisory groups. So right, we're very right. limited in, in, um, the, the scope of the offering in terms of who we are trying to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do, again, we, we create, we're, we're seeking to create the, um, the, the touch and the feel of an internal CIO without actually showing up at your office every day. Right. Right. Okay. So, you know, and I'm, and I want to get into more detail about some of the things you discussed, you know, talking about handful of advisor relationships, which we'll, we'll get into. So you really have, an exceptional business model from an equity 
ownership perspective, which is which is one of the reasons I knew, you know, our discussion would be very revealing and, and what I would probably say is kind of uncommon. Uh, it seems like you're, you know, you're bringing something out there, you're really a leader and it's really unique. So tell Tell me more about the, you know, the equity ownership and, and, and why you implemented it and, and how it really works. So <clears throat> when I started, w- w- the idea for Varium really w- w- was probably a, a long time in the making. I come mm-hmm. from a background where my father was a lifetime Merrill um, manager. He he managed hundreds, if not thousands of advisors. W- w- which office? I'm curious. Um, so he moved fairly frequently, but, um, (laughs) the couple offices in Michigan, a couple offices in Ohio, uh, Columbus. And then, um, he finished his career, uh, last 14 years was in the, he ran basically the, the main, uh, Princeton, New Jersey office where the corporate campus was. So you weren't an army brat, you were a Merrill brat. I was a Merrill brat. We moved around a lot. So (laughs) four different high schools. Um, that was a, that was rough. Um, yes. but, uh, I, I learned a lot about the business. And one of the things I learned from my dad is that, you know, advisors are kind of paranoid, uh, people because they always feel like they're going to end up with a short end of the stick. So right. when I came up with the idea for Varium, I wanted to not only create a operational model that made a ton of sense for advisors, but I, mm-hmm. I wanted to make the economics work for them as well. So if they were going to trust me and my team to sort of, do the investment strategy and implementation piece. I said, there should be, we're capitalists. So there, there should be some mm-hmm. reward for that risk that they're taking of offloading that to us. And so the idea around Varium, I called it Varium Investment Partners for a reason, is to really partner with advisory firms, uh, both operationally and then ultimately economically, and create something incredibly valuable that advisors literally are just giving away right now. They give it to some third party and they have no economic benefit from it. Um, and that, the, 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 the really sad thing about that is that $100 million of AUM in an advisory business is probably worth a million and a half dollars. And $100 million of AUM in, in the investment business is probably worth between 2 and $3 million. So they're actually okay. giving away a more valuable piece of their business for nothing to these third party firms, which generally don't do a great job as stewards of their clients' capital. Right, right. So let's let's take a look at, uh, <clears throat> you know, I kind of wanted to start out with the structure of the in-source CIO business model you have. You know, the model seems very distinctive, which allows, I would say, large ad- advisors to participate in the growth of the company while, as you mentioned, it it alleviates some hassles of, uh, of traditional asset management. So, so give us a... Um, the overview of, of that whole CIO business model? Well, it's, it's f- fairly simple. Um, really, we, this is the one thing where we are, we are trying to push the evolution of uh, investment management and how uh, advisors do their investment management. But the one thing that we couldn't really change is, is basically you know, 200, 300 years of tradition of how uh, client assets are managed. So we, um, we try to improve the process that advisors have been using. We don't use mutual funds. They're, I think, an anachronism and a, um, they were a great thing in the 20th century, but they should have been left there. Um, mm-hmm. So we're all SMA or low cost ETF um, portfolios. And uh, we do the trading, the rebalancing, the reporting that allows us to do value added things like covered call strategies, portfolio protection strategies, 
And we can basically manage a $2,000 account or a $20 billion pension plan, everything in, in, in between. Um, so the idea here is just to deliver an institutional level, world-class investment solution to retail advisors who are super busy doing everything else that they do. Um, they're, we, we like to partner with, with advisors who recognize that their best and highest use of their time is in developing the relationships with their existing clients and going out and getting new clients, not necessarily picking a, a, a manager or developing an asset allocation or trading or rebalancing and all of that. Um, I view that as being a, uh, a detriment to the success of their business. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately at the end of the day with the six of us, and like you said, we're, we're pretty smart, um, pretty smart folks, you know, how can a single person do what we do better than, than we do when all we do is focus on investments? We don't have yeah. our own individual clients, our clients, our advisors, and we um, just 100% of our time is spent on thinking about markets, running the crunching the numbers on the markets, doing due diligence on the managers that we hire, trying to figure out the best way to hedge if the markets are, are looking overbought or oversold. And um, it's, it was just, it's virtually impossible that a single person who's doing six other things can do what we do better than we do. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I could see as advisors start their businesses. I mean, you can get to a certain asset level and manage relationships and manage assets, but eventually you come to, you come to a fork in the road and say, do you want to be an asset manager or relationship manager? And you have to offload one of them. You do. And, uh, it, you, know, you absolutely I, I, do, or, or it's to your detriment because you're never going right. to be as big as you probably could have been. As you could have, or, or as big as you wanted to. So I know, as I read through the descriptive, you know, descriptive about uh, Varium, and you refer to something called loss value, and we mentioned, touched on it briefly yeah. at the introduction, and you know, transferred, you know, that loss value is transferred to you know third party, you know, investment solutions, and with Varium, you're just not giving away a large percentage of, of that of of equity to those, or you are you are sharing, I guess, you know, you know, the equity with with the advisor partner. So give us a detail on that lost revenue that you refer to and how an advisor, you know, participates uh, with your firm and, and how they can increase their net worth by utilizing the service. Yeah. So <clears throat> first, first and foremost, um, even if we didn't share the equity, advisors mm-hmm. who outsource this uh, business to us have more time to build their businesses bigger. So that's that, that in and of itself is, is value creation. What I'm referring to in the lost value is the fact that, um, and I'm not picking on it. We'll just we'll use a generic. Let's say um, ABC mutual funds. Um, so an advisor gives $100 million that they manage to ABC mutual funds. ABC mutual funds charges 100 basis points. So right. They make a million dollars a year and their profit margins are probably 50%. They get a higher multiple than wealth managers do. So let's just say that they're giving, the advisors giving away that $100 million are creating mm-hmm. wealth for ABC mutual fund and somewhere between let's call it four to $6 million. So they've just increased the value of the mutual fund that they put their clients money in, but they haven't done anything for themselves. So I call right. that lost value where with our equity model and because we're an LLC and we pay out our profits on an annual basis, it's not only mm-hmm. a cash flow play for whatever percentage um, an advisor owns of Varium, but then Let's say that 
in 10 years, we've built a business that has $20 billion in assets. Okay. $20 billion in assets is probably worth, let's just call it a billion dollars to a third party, whether it's a private equity firm or a bank or, or some, some buyer. So if each advisor that we bring, let's say we have 10 of them and each one owns five for, excuse me, 5% and we sell it for a billion dollars, we just created a $50 million asset for that advisor. Mm. Whereas if they had just continued to use ABC mutual funds, they would have created $0 for that. Right, company. right. So it's 50 million on the equity side and then whatever profit sharing that we had to pay out over those 10 years that actually increases the value of, of those firms. So the equity is actually a really, that is the one part that I think differentiates us from uh, InvestNet and, and AssetMark and, and SEI and some of the other solutions that are out there because we really are putting our money where our mouth is saying, trust us to do a world-class job for you. And right. if you do that, not only will you grow your business faster and create more wealth for yourself, but you'll be creating this other asset that in most cases, for most advisors, they hire somebody internally to run their investments. That's a W-2 with benefits and, and mm -hmm. all of that stuff. Very expensive. There's probably an assistant or two. It's more money. And what we say is don't hire that person internally. Hire us. And we will act as if we are your internal person. We're always available on the phone. And we are going to do a much better job than any single person can do as well. And the bigger we scale this, the better pricing power we have the more we can actually cut our fees. So it's it's a win for the client because they're getting a better product at hopefully a better price. It's a win for the advisor because they're getting a better product at no cost to them. And they're building an asset that they were, were otherwise giving away. So it's a win for the advisor, a win for the client. It's a win for us because we do what we love. And, and hopefully if, if I do my job correctly, we will be working with really great partners. Right, right. So I, w I wanted to get a little bit later into what, what kind of differentiates you from, from the larger firms. But um, since we mentioned it a couple of times here, I, you said you, you, you partner with about 10 to 12 high growth firms. And do you, does that, does a number, do you allow it to grow? What's, you know, you know uh, in terms of partnership increase or do you make adjustments? I mean, when you reach to, is there a capacity? I guess that's what I'm trying to find out if, you know, all of a sudden three or four firms want to join quickly. Do you have the capacity? Do you limit it? And then you have to restructure something else? How does that work? So I was very careful about how I structured the equity because I saw firms like Hightower have mm -hmm. two classes of stock, one for the founders that never got diluted. And then the stock sure. that was sold to the advisors that they brought on that was continuously diluted. And right. you saw a bunch of folks join Hightower and then leave Hightower. And they had to really basically scrap their initial business model because it, it wasn't economically really viable. So yeah, and I, this is all public information. I think. I, yeah, I for sure. Because that, I, I don't know anybody at Hightower. I'm just, I just know what I read and it's just an example. I understand. Sure. Yeah. And I, I understand capital structure. So I was very careful in the capital structure. What this is, is essentially a profit participation unit. It can't mm -hmm. be diluted. Um, if you own 5%, you own 5% of the cash flow. Uh, gotcha. So, um, what we can do, and we don't allow um, advisors who don't utilize our service to own stock. So if you wanted to part ways with us, we would buy your stock back and I buy it and sell it the exact same price using the exact same formula. So there's no incentive or disincentive for me to buy more, sell more. Um, I, gotcha. want, okay. I want it to be as transparent as possible. Um, everyone knows how we do our 
books, how how our cash flow works, how, what multiples we're willing to uh, attach to selling our stock and buying our stock back. So there's never going to be a mystery there. Um, so again, the only real constraint to the model is that is time. So we can bring on four really quickly. We have you know two partner firms now. We're, we're close to bringing two more partner firms on. So we're kind of in a slow burn. Like let's you know really make sure that these first partners are the correct partners and that we're not making mistakes in who we partner with. Uh, so we're being very careful about our due diligence. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, we could very easily take on you know three, four, five billion dollars of assets with relatively little friction right now. And um, what we do really when we partner with firms is, is we know we can't just come in and blow everything up. So it's usually a 12 to 18 month process where we just really study what they have been doing with their clients, where their clients are from a tax perspective. And then we make the assessment of, okay, the markets are, you know, where they are. Our view on the market is that it's going down 15, 20%. Maybe we, maybe we sell and hang on to more cash. We make a market related call and then we slowly work our way into the what I call the Varium portfolio for the advisors that work with us over probably a 12 to 18 month period is, is usually when those accounts are then fully converted to what we believe is the best way to have those assets deployed. Right. Okay. So everything you've discussed the, you know, and pointed out, it's very distinct. And again, that's why you know I wanted you here. So we can always focus on, on the advantages of any one thing, but what, if any, are, are there any drawbacks to, to this model as it relates to perhaps operations or, or solutions? So I am biased. I, I don't think so. I, I think that it is a 100% pure play positive for every advisor that works with us. Simply just from the brain power that we have, you're going to upgrade your game. And since I've been sort of operating as a portfolio manager, strategist, CIO myself for over two decades, Mm -hmm. um, I know really how I I know how this should be done. And, and And what we do is, is really deploy our best ideas around trading, asset allocation, data analytics, um, rebalancing um, some of the stuff we've built, some some of the, the systems that we use, we've built ourselves. And but we also eat we we eat our own cooking, and we're we're not good at something, and someone else has figured out a better way. We outsource, so right. you know we have a rebalancing uh, partner uh, that helps us do that efficiently. And um, you know some other stuff, as I said, we've you know got proprietary technology that helps us do trading. Um, almost institutionally. Um, even right. though, even though we, we, we don't really, um, trade away because the custodians, um, uh, basically there's no reason to, um, Schwab and Fidelity, which are our two, two primary custodians don't charge commissions anymore. So why would you trade away and pay a commission to somebody else? Um, other than for the soft dollars, which is not in the best interest of our clients. So we don't do that. Sure. Sure. Um, so, you know, the, the, the idea here is that, you know, we are just trying to maximize the time and capital of advisors to allow them to focus on what really drives their bottom line, which is getting more clients and, and, right, right. and keeping them. So happy. you had mentioned that the, the, the process, well, the only thing proprietary is the process behind 
varying because there's no proprietary products. And I, I, I know, I think through one of our conversations, you basically say you reject all conflict, you know, conflicts of interest, which is what we do. Also, we've utilized that, you know, identical standard to our business model here. So, what? How do you go about eliminating conflicts of interest, and, and specifically, where do they come from? So, <clears throat> or could the, they come from? Yeah, I should the, say, not where do they come. Yeah, from. Yeah, the 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 clearest example of that is, um, I guess, about a year ago, um, I was asked by this really nice guy um, had just left a, a big mutual fund firm and was starting his own company, his own money management company. He's a small cap manager, and he said, uh, "Look, if you will, you know, give me some capital." to get me off the ground, I'll give you 20% of my firm. And I said, you know, if, if I was in the business of seating, you know, young managers, you would be the first person that I, I would, uh, that I, I would give money to, but mm-hmm. you know what? I can't, I can't take equity. I, I, I may, I may give you some capital to manage because I think you're good, but I don't right. want to be in the position where I'm potentially enriching myself by giving assets to, you know, this manager when there's potentially a better manager out there and how do I fire you if I actually own you? And Mm -hmm. even though I would do it, um, that's, that comes down more to my character than anything else. And it is clearly a a conflict. So I I made the decision that we wouldn't um, be biased in any way to who the best manager is. And we have a very, we do have a proprietary process around how we search for and filter our managers out that's part of our secret sauce that I won't tell anybody what we, what we do to get down to our list. Right. right. We have a very, very rigorous and detailed process of due diligence that I'd never wanted to sacrifice that, um, that integrity by being tempted to, um, enrich myself by owning equity in, um, you know, a, a money manager that we utilize, which is part of the reason why we also aren't going to manage any of the capital ourselves because it's incredibly difficult to fire yourself. Um, right. And even though I think we would do a great job in large cap and we would probably be able to reduce our fees even more because we wouldn't have to pay those third party managers. Um, I just think that the benefit of having really great third party managers um, who have absolutely um, no hold on you and you have no hold on them and you can release that relationship at any time if something starts to fail. That's just a really powerful argument for why it's better to to work with us because, look, we are, we are on top of our managers. We understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. And um, if there is for whatever reason a change in their process, if there's a change at the top of you know, the, the manager, the analysts leaving or people aren't happy. We know about it and we, we reassess and we decide if we want to stay with that manager. So our process is so rigorous that I don't want anything to really get in the way of, uh, of, of that process. So is there, is there just a simple, some sort of simple language document that, that is included for, um, you know, to avoid conflicts of interest or. So we, we again, we really, um, we, the equity piece is actually a potential conflict of interest, although I don't really okay. view it as that. 
I think it's more of an asset to the advisor saying, look, we've brought in these PhDs, CFA guys with 175 years of, of combined investment experience to, to mm-hmm. really be our, our the backbone of our investment process. Gotcha. Okay. And we've taken a small equity piece in them. And that has to be fully disclosed in your ADV. Mm-hmm. Um, we we have we have to disclose that. So we make sure that they okay. do. Um, because you know, people can say, well, you're you're making more money on you know the investment piece, which I, I think is a silly argument, but um, technically they are correct. And I say, well, if someone is upset that you're making, you know, you own four percent of of Varium, then reduce your investment advisory fees by a commiserate amount, and then everything's equal in the end. But you still have this really big asset of equity that we can sell for, you know, potentially twenty five or fifty or seventy five million dollars uh, down the road. So right, right. The, the language that we use with our third party managers is actually it's not even a um, um, it's not even a sub advisor agreement. It's it's an agreement that they send that they will send us their model and that we can or cannot, depending on our own discretion, decide to execute those decisions. So they're really oh, okay. suggesting that we manage this portfolio in the way that they have have built their model. But if there's mm-hmm. some reason that we don't want to sell a stock, maybe we have a, a call written against it or we've got some portfolio protection strategies or maybe it's a taxable event that if we wait another two weeks, they'll get a different tax treatment. We won't necessarily do the trade at the time the advisor says, uh, the, the third party manager says to, to do that. And that's, again, that's part of the customization that we offer and part of the reason why we can't do this for a thousand different firms. Right, right. But it, um, you know, I, I call this basically they're, it's 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 not completely custom, but it is um, far more custom than you're going to get from any other of our competitors. Okay, so the um, looking at you know the bring for someone bringing in a CIO into their own into their own RIA, it, it it's got to be expensive. I don't even know what it costs. What is it? A buck fifty on the low end. Oh, you know, gosh, somebody in 200. One. I mean, if, if you want to, yeah, if you want to get me well, out of bed, I don't think a CIO you want office. a crappy one, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be half a million bucks just to get me out of bed, you know, five days a week. So, right. You know, you're, right. you're easily looking at total package of a CIO plus your portfolio accounting system, plus your Bloomberg's, plus an assistant or two. You're looking for a really good one in a, in a sort of a, a major city like Philadelphia or New York or Chicago. I mean, you're looking at seven fifty to eight hundred thousand wow. dollars to have your own internal solution. That's a lot of dough, man. And oh, that's and a that's lot of money. Yep. And that's like a hundred million dollars of AUM just to pay for that. Just to pay for that one person. Yeah. So yeah. So I was wondering, you know, I was gonna ask you, I, I was thinking at first this may be kind of a you know, an off subject question, but it, it really isn't because it revolves around RIA profitability and and I've I've read that one needs to have and you know a certain size um, RIA you know to to make a go at the business model and considering all the expenses involved like we just discussed and without leveraging let's say someone's not leveraging any outsourcing and as we're discussing right now but what do you see as a minimal sized RIA either from an AUM or a revenue standpoint that that, a, that they can actually build profitability and, and make a successful go at an RIA business model? I always suggest to um, RIAs who are looking to go independent 
because um, I, I, I talk to a lot of wirehouse guys uh, sure. and 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 uh, women who are considering uh, leaving. And I say, look, if you're not 300 million, you probably should tuck in to another firm. Um, that's kind of that's also happens to be like 300 to 350 million is when people start really feeling the pain of their investment strategies. You can fake it up until that point, but if you want to okay. go from 350 to 750 to a billion and then beyond, you need to really professionalize your game, institutionalize your game on the investment management side. And there's one of two ways of doing that. You can build it internally, which is very expensive. That gets also, expensive. Also tends to be transitory because if you have a great CIO and they know they're great, other people are going to know they're great and they're going to offer them more money. And they're going to come hunting for them. Yep. And they're, or going, her. they're going to offer them more money. And then you have to either pay them more money or they are gone. And the worst, the worst thing you can call your clients is saying, yeah, you know how great, you know, the CIO was, well, he, he left because he wanted too much money. Yeah. Then you need Christian on speed dial pretty quick. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> that's the one beautiful thing is like, we, you can fire us, right? If we're terrible at what we do, but we're never right. going to quit you. Why would we quit right. you? If you're a partner and you own, you own equity in us, like we're, we're not going anywhere. And we also don't cost you anything. You don't have to pay us. What you the, the the only requirement that we have is that you have to be generating enough business for us to, you know, basically make seventy five thousand dollars a quarter. Right, so right. It's a really. It sounds like a lot of money, but it's a really low bar. It's like fifty million in AUM at fifty basis points. And, right, and, right. And we're somewhere between let's say eighty five basis points and thirty five basis points, depending on what structure um, you choose to invest in. Um, but uh, yeah, it's really not a high bar, um, especially if you are going to own equity in us. I would think that, you know, it's a little bit like being pregnant. Either you are all in or you're all out right. and you should be having us manage as much of your assets as you possibly can. And by the way, we never end up managing a hundred percent of the assets of, of the advisors that we work with. Okay. Which is all right. kind of interesting because they, yeah, so- because they really should. Right, right. Yeah, because we see years ago, I mean, you know, some of the firms, you know, they said, hey, we'll help you out if you have a RIA that's a 25 or 50 million. And, and it's funny, you see these firms grow a little bit. I don't know, it's probably market growth. And and then all of a sudden you see, you look at their assets and they're, and they're actually coming down. And if you talk to them, it's, hey, you know, we can't make this very profitable. So and it's like, well, of, of course you can't, because when you outsource everything, it gets very, very expensive. So does, you know, if you insource you know, if, or I'm sorry, if you outsource everything, um, you know, utilizing firms like Varium, does, does that lower the bar on the size on, on the 300 million you discussed? Can it, it can significantly lower that bar if someone wants that business model, correct? Yes, it, it, it absolutely does. And I say, we, unless you partner with us and then you can do it for sub 100 million. Um, although you want to be an SEC registered firm, so you want to be above a hundred million. Um, hundred million, right? Yeah. And you know, the other kind of unique aspect that our competitors don't really do. They, they may say they do, but they don't really, you know, we have, um, we make ourselves available to help you build your client base. So, Hey, you want right. to talk to the CIO? Let me get, let me get Christian on the phone. Let me get uh, Jeff on the phone. Let me get, you know, Barrett on the phone. He's our European guy and he knows, uh, you know, maybe, well, with that name, you have to be the European. Yeah, he is. And, and, and you know, he's legitimate. Like, so we were a virtual company before, like, COVID made everybody a virtual company. 
So, mm-hmm. I mean, he's literally our man in, in Europe. And so he's, we are, you know, he's floated between uh, Germany. Uh, he's a German national, uh, London and Dubai during the pandemic. But we've basically got someone watching the markets 24 seven, essentially, except for, I guess, Saturday um, because of our geographic diversification. Um, but we talk basically on a daily basis. Um, but we, you know, like back, back to the, to the, you know, not only do you lower the bar on, on how big you can be, but um, you really do. We, and, and we, we encourage the advisors we work with to put us on their webpage as mm-hmm. their investment team. Uh, so we put ourselves out there. We make ourselves available to the clients. We make ourselves available to um, prospects. So, you know, if you're competing against Goldman Sachs for a $20 million account, you know, they're not Goldman Sachs for a $20 million account. Isn't going to like give you access to, to their chief strategist, but no. you know, we'll have Jeff there. We'll have Bernd there. We'll have me there. We will literally be part of your marketing team as well. Right. Right. Yeah. I've always been a avid, I should say campaigner of, of size, you know, specifically more towards the boutiques and, and across the mid-tier firms and, and uh, you know, practices, especially in some aspects of our industry, because what I've seen is, is firms get larger and more complex. And I'm, I'm assuming you may have a, a similar perspective that the challenge they always face, but never seem to resolve, I don't know if it actually can be resolved, is not just how they continue to provide the quality of service to, to their users or their customers and, and what, what they've grown to expect, but most often what, what suffers is how to address the the personal connection, the the professional relationships, and perhaps a a, a family type of environment that you know that you know all have grown accustomed to. So, how does uh, this leads into the question? So, how does Varium's offer differentiate itself from, let's say, the large CIO players that are out there? So, we have the benefit of being a relatively small player, and mm-hmm. we also have the benefit of having the capability of scaling very quickly to 20 to 25 billion without a lot of friction. Mm-hmm. Once you start getting bigger than that, you start, it's almost like it's, it's, it's an, it's, it's ironic that success almost begets mediocrity because you get so big, the things that let you get to where you, you, you are now presently finding yourself you can't mm-hmm. do it anymore. Yeah, you're pushing them to the sides. Yeah, because I mean, part of the reason this is this is I mean, look, I like working with boutique firms, right? There's lots of evidence that show if you're not pushing around billions of dollars, you do better. So we like to look for firms that have less than five billion dollars in AUM. You know, mm-hmm. we, we there's I, the the chances that me and American funds are going to get together and 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 do something together is almost zero. Right. right. Never say right. never, but um, they're just pushing around so much money. They're like closet indexers. So what we are looking for is true active managers who have the capability and the flexibility to actually deliver on what their special sauce is. I, and I think part of the reason why I think we are, I think, really good, our differentiator is, is in our uh, manager due diligence process because we all are former portfolio managers. We've all managed money, you know, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. And we kind of know where the bodies are buried. 
And we know, yeah, you know the questions to ask and, yep. the, and the research to do and everything. Yep, exactly. And, 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 you know, so I ask, you know, what are the six most important factors of a DCF analysis? And if they try to answer that question, I'm like, well, there aren't six, there's only five. So right, right. I know that they're, oh, he these threw things. us, Christian threw us a trick question. Yeah. That wasn't fair. I know. How dare he? But you know, it's that I want to know, not just how you got there. I don't I want to know exactly why you got there. Why do I find myself sitting in front of you after doing mm-hmm. all of this, uh, data analytics on, on what you've done. And again, there's certain things that we look for, certain characteristics of portfolio, uh, um, construction that, that we look for. And, uh, you know, most of the folks we work with pay taxes so that, you know, we have to worry about your turnover and things like that. But then we really want to know what the, that extra 10% is, that secret sauce that makes you a really amazing large cap growth manager. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have an answer for that, if you don't have a way of saying, this is, this is our process, this is how we repeat that process, this is what we're going to do in the future to, to come as close as we can to those awesome numbers that brought you here. Um, if you can't answer that question, I'm really not interested in, in giving you capital. So I'm always surprised at the number of very successful money managers that when I get in front of them and we start having these conversations, they don't have the answers that I need to feel comfortable to give them client capital. So it's, uh, and, and, and look, the amount of work, um, first of all, I spent $25,000 a year just getting the data for that. Most advisors aren't going to do that. And then I spend half my time during the week. So 25 to 30 hours a week, just looking for managers, talking to managers, talking to our managers, understanding what they're doing. If you're an advisor and doing that same level of diligence, you're probably not a very good advisor. No. And you're not a great relationship manager at all because you're not, you don't have time to talk to your clients. Correct. Yeah. So looking at, you know, I kind of wanted to look at the RIA business model. You know, there's a lot of you know, considering the market, you know, conditions, you know, with acquisitions and other factors and going forward, do you think the RIA business model is, is, is going to change? Um, and, and specifically, I, I probably want to maybe add in there, uh, you know, private equity now, and, and please correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, Christian, but private equity right now seems like it's the largest owner of assets and valuations for purchases seem to, you know, seem to continually increase. Uh, you know, outside of the money and short-term view of PE firms, do you think there's going to be an impact on the a negative impact, or maybe your views on what the positive impact could be on a business? And maybe talk about how how Varium is going to be, you know, kind of a has adapted is going to be a, or is adapted to meet those changes. Well, first of all, kind of a wordy question. I'm yeah, sorry. no, no, I get exactly where you're going. <laughs> I'm baffled. I'm off, I, I, I'm I'm literally baffled. When I read so-and-so sold to so-and-so because they wanted growth capital. Well, if you are really wanting to grow, why are you selling your equity? <laughs> take debt. Like that's just a, ca- that's like capital structure 101. Like take, take some debt and then pay it back in seven years. I, I never understood people who sold to Focus and Focus has done a really great job. I mean, they're, they're right. killing it, but I never understood I, I mean, I kind of understand because it's mostly the, the senior, senior person who's cashing out and doesn't care right, that the right. junior people are selling all of the assets and half the cash flow of their future business, which they will own nothing of. Um, 
I never understood the focus model. I never understood the high tower model. I never understood these aggregator models where they're basically giving all this cash and, and, and in some cases equity to these firms and then expecting them to grow. Now the market has helped out in the last 12 years, but I, some of the, some of the multiples that are happening right now are just a pure function of having a lot of really, I think, large and fairly reckless uh, aggregators out there. And I think advisors are taking advantage of it. Um, you know, particularly older advisors, the average advisor is like 62 or something like that. They're like, you can't blame them for taking advantage. No, if someone I mean, gives you, you a check, you, eventually you, it's big enough. You're going to say, holy shit, I'll, I'll take in this. Yeah. You take the cash yeah. and you know, you yeah. walk off into the sunset. It's still a relatively young person and, and you know, 25 years to go spend it. Mm-hmm. Um, the variant model I think is it, it actually we never take equity in the firms that we partner with, but we are creating a cash flow and an asset that's going to make them worth at least double. So it is always a little bit amazing to me when I talk to advisors that I want to work with and like, well, we're just not interested. And I'm like, why, <laughs> why are you not interested? They're like, well, cause this is what we do and this is what our clients pay us for. And I'm, I'm like, I, right. I actually beg to differ. Because I don't think your clients are paying you to do the sort of mediocre. And then I, I see what they do with their investments. You know, like this is kind of a mediocre portfolio. This is a good enough portfolio. I'm not in the good enough game. I'm in the let's make this the best it can possibly be. And then if we can, you know, enrich the lives of, of the client, we can enrich the lives of the advisors. Um, that's just kind of icing on the cake. So I, 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 I think it's going to, I mean, it obviously has to slow down if the market corrects here 20% and, and some of these sure. PE firms go, wait a minute, we're now underwater on all of these investments that we made. Or some of these, you know, one of the things my dad um, always struggled with was when he hired an advisor from another firm and paid him a ton of money. Oftentimes half the money didn't come over. And then those million dollar producers were now $400,000 producers. And he just paid right, a premium. Right. He paid them like they were $2 million producers and now they're you know producing one fifth of that. So right. I, I, I would love to see the internal metrics about what happens to the organic growth of an RIA. The inorganic growth is obviously the market's gone up, you know, pretty significantly over the last 12 years. Um, right. But it'll be really interesting to see how these deals get done. If the market corrects, say 20, 25%. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you this, and this, and, and I'm kind of surprised I didn't write this in my notes. To you know, hey, I got to ask Christian about this. So what is the, what is the moment that a firm realizes, you know, what we need to have a different solution to this? I'm sure it's profitability and saying, you know, how can we, you know, we we have someone internal. We don't probably need an internal CIO. You know, what are the moments or or the or the, um, uh, the impetus? That you know, practices realize and say, you know what, we should really looking to outsource this. What's what is what is what's really gonna, you know, light the fire underneath them and say, let let's go look at alternatives. So there's it, it usually is AUM size that um, they come to the realization that they they and these are the firms we like to talk to. <clears throat> mm-hmm. They're three hundred to three fifty, right? Sort of able to manage that 
investment pool relatively well. But then their clients are getting more sophisticated. They're getting richer. They're bringing on more clients and they start going, well, everything we've done up to 350 has been okay. But if we really want to get to 500 and then to a billion, we have to really institutionalize this business. And most advisors have no clue how to do that from a money management perspective. Right. So they're going to go hire somebody who's going to, you know, demand a very high salary and benefits and, and everything else and systems right. and, and, you know, very expensive Bloomberg's and, and, and Adapar, which we actually offer to our advisors for free. We give that to them. Uh, that's a $50,000 a year gift, uh, or if not more. Um, so they start adding up all of these costs and all of a sudden they're relatively easy to run lifestyle firm becomes this professional firm with complicated moving parts, expensive people. Mm-hmm. And the only way that they can actually get to their $500 million goal or their billion dollar goal or whatever it is, is to actually take the plunge. Mm-hmm. Then they start going, Holy crap. This is like, this is an all in, this is a life or death situation. And we have to make the decision. Are we going to do this internally? Or are we going to try to find a good partner to do this with? And that's where we really do have a lot of success with, um, with firms is that we are in hyper growth phase. We know we can't manage things the way that we have been doing it, but we also don't want to pay a million dollars to upgrade our systems. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause like you said, in the beginning, you're going to hire a CIO. You're going to, you bring someone in with, that's getting paid 700,000. It's, it's what you said, a hundred million in assets just to cover that expense. Yeah. I mean, so, probably, I mean, you know, depending on what your fees are, but obviously it's, it's a big chunk of AUM to bring in somebody high quality. And if they're really, really good, 750 might not be really, really disappear. Yeah. I mean, they, like, look, I, I'm, I, I just came from Goldman. I'm used to getting a $2 million bonus on my $400,000 salary. Like if you right. can't match that, then they're gone. Right, right. Wow, that's that's really interesting. So, you know, last question before we, you know, finish up kind of on a personal note. Is there anything perhaps I didn't, you know, that you'd like to highlight that I didn't discuss or we weren't able to go over in, in much great, greater detail during our discussion? No, I think we had, I mean, look, we, we are trying to, I, I, I say evolutionize the relationship between advisors and their investment solutions. Um, you know, the evolution there really isn't very revolutionary because mm-hmm. what we're doing is just trying to equitably distribute our equity and then do a kick-ass job of operationally managing that process for advisors in a way that they can't replicate. They couldn't replicate my team and everything that we could do internally. Even if you were a $2 billion firm, mm-hmm. it would be too expensive. Right. So, I mean, leverage what we do, get your hands on some of our equity and then help us grow the business and everybody will be better for it, especially your clients. That's really the right. message that I'm trying to get out about Varium and what we do. And, and there, look, if you're outsourcing to InvestNet or, or AssetMark or SCI or whatever, I mean, I'm glad you're doing that. But at the end of the day, those firms are so gigantic that the real diamonds in the rough that we find aren't available to you. And... I think that's where over the next three to five years, I think we've stolen a lot of performance from the market, the the future of the market in the last couple of years, getting ahead of ourselves. 
I think it's going to be super important to have a differentiated product that makes the money work harder through simple things like covered call strategies or portfolio protection strategies, just generating more cash that these mm-hmm. firm, these giant firms won't be able to offer you. So um, I, you know, we're a true differentiator in the industry. We're trying to push things forward from a capital structure uh, perspective. And, you know, I, I don't know how you could really go wrong, um, you know, in trusting your client's capital with, with the process and, and all of the things that we bring uh, as, as variant. Great. Well, I appreciate you kind of, you know, bringing all this to summary. So, um, so I thought it'd be best to end on a few personal questions. You're cool with that, aren't you? Sure. So let me ask you, what do you do to relax? Oh, well, I used to like to hang out with my kids, but they're teenagers. And so they don't, have anything <laughs> uh, they don't to do want to hang me. out with you. Right. So, um, I love skiing. I love snow sports, uh, snowboarding, skiing. Um, I, you know, I've just recently moved to North Carolina, which is kind of not, a, not too much snowboarding, put, skiing, put a kibosh on that. Um, yeah. but no, I like getting outdoors. I like exercising. I like, um, you know, running around with my kids when they let me. Um, but that's, you know, pretty much just work and, and, um, my girlfriend is, she's fun to hang out with too. Um, so yeah, if no, she I'm, listens I'm, to this I'm, podcast. It's good. You said that covered your ass. Yeah, I know. So. And she will listen to this because <laughs> she's also good. in the business and she, she does listen to the, the podcast that I do. Um, good, good. So good. no, so what do you, what do you do? I'm a homebody. So, uh, largely what's that? Mostly a homebody. Okay. Um, All yeah, right. I live. So what do you, what do you dislike or, or try to avoid? Hmm. Well, that is an interesting question. I, I try to avoid nasty people and bad karma. Okay. So, That's good. Yeah. All right. So either living or dead, who would you want as a dinner guest? So I, I, I would love to be able to pick Abraham Lincoln's brain for it. That's probably a bad, a, a bad saying. Well, um, for two hours. I think it would be fascinating. And I I see a lot of sort of analogies to our country right now and how divided we all are to to Mm -hmm. that time period. And just to see what he would, what, what he would say about our current situation. Yeah. Yeah. So who's your, uh, do you have a favorite comedian? I love Chappelle. All right. Um, How about a writer? I mean, this is really nerdy, but I love Nietzsche. Okay. Still try to read. A little bit of Nietzsche every now and again. Okay, I was an English. So, uh, I was also an English major in. in uh, oh, were you really? Yeah, I was. I'm, then your answer to that one had you know that's that's not surprising. Yeah, answer, uh, I but I, I ended up going to business school because I I, I wasn't going to be an English teacher. So right, right. So if uh, what would you be doing for a profession if you weren't doing what you're doing now, an English teacher? So <clears throat> would you be teaching? Every now and again, when you start a business, you have setbacks, and when I have setbacks. I like to go to a just a blank sheet of paper and design my perfect job. Mm-hmm. And since I came up with the idea for Varium, every time that I've had a setback or something I'm something I'm doing wrong, I, I, I go back, clear my mind, and start with that fresh piece of paper. I always end up coming back to Varium. Okay. So I think Varium is all I would ever do, and I'm going to do it until I mean I'm either dead broke or extremely successful so far it's looking like we're going to be successful but um 
you never know. Someone could come up with a better, right, right. better idea than me. But right now we've got great partners. We've got a couple of, you know, potential really amazing partners. And um, I'm really excited about the next three to five years, even though I think the market's going to be really, really, really difficult. All right. All right. I got three more for you. So what talent do you wish you had? Talent or is this like superpower? Anything. Anything. Oh, man. I would love to be able to fly. Just got back from, okay. <laughs> from Costa Rica and boy, airports are not fun. No, no. All right. Uh, now I, I added the second part. So favorite swear word or overused word? swear word i don't swear or, or or overused i don't you know something you say often yes i, I should say no more oh, okay all right that's fine so and besides this being the last question what do you what are you grateful for oh man i'm grateful every morning i my i wake up and my eyes pop open and i know i have two amazing kids i've got an amazing girlfriend i've got an amazing family um every day is just a blessing well Great. Well, I appreciate you, you know, being open to us here. So, well, Christian, thanks again for, you know, taking time out and providing, you know, a lot of detail and educating, you know, our audience on Varium Investment Partners and, and, and the, you know, very impactful solutions you bring. And I know it's a challenge for you and I to get to this discussion, but I, I thought it was very important and timely just to further educate people about the solution that's available out there. So, you know, for those of you who want to find out more about Varium Investment Partners, you can find them at variumip.com where you'll find you know just information on investment solutions and RIA advisor partners and how it works and we've also included a link to their site on our outside resources page at advisorfirstpartners.com uh, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to chat with Hank wherever you listen to your programs and Christian uh, thank you once again for you know carving out some time and sharing your insights and and also your, your patience and finally getting this conference conversation between you and I done. Yeah, I really appreciate your time as well, bud. Um, yeah, listen, uh, you know, I, I, I'd like to say that, you know, I, I'm a resource for anybody who uh, is in the industry and, and maybe questioning something that they're about to make a decision on. And mm -hmm. uh, I am more than happy to, to, to tell you some of the things that I've seen. Um, give you some advice, whether, you know, it's free advice. So, you know, you, you get what you pay for, but um, I'm more than happy to be a resource for anybody out there who's, uh, you know, questioning if they're doing something correctly or, or wants to learn more about very, I'm happy to carve out some time for anybody at any time. Great. Well, I appreciate it, Christian. Thanks for your time. Okay, bud. Thanks. Take care. Bye. All right. Bye-bye.